0: We can't feed all these children that are starving all over the world, uh, and so if you do care about child hunger, you may not care of the animals, but if you do care about child hunger, you, if you do care about climate change, you want to be thinking about what you're putting in your mouth three times a day and whether you can make a difference. Nobody's too small, in my opinion.
1: Welcome to episode three of the Teach Shows Table podcast, a podcast for anyone interested in veganism or plant-based food, whether you're vegan or not. What a deal. I'm Jonathan, Ticho's emotional support animal. On the show today, I'll be interviewing the delightful Dr. Nitu Bajikal, whose soul is surely dipped in treacle. I'll ask her how to sort the wheat from the chaff when it comes to nutritional advice, all about lifestyle medicine, whole food plant-based eating, and so much more. But first, Val and I take on the big one. John and Val. Vegan wines with John and Val. <laughs> it doesn't Cheers. sound elegant, does it? <laughs> oh my god, he's totally covered in wine, and this one's got a fly in it. Oh, oh no! <laughs> what a mess! Elegance squared. That's uh-huh. a good thing. It's Rosie. So I'm back again with Val Gallardo, my pal and level 7 vegan. <laughs> uh, today on the show we've got the big one, the question that we knew was coming at some point. Vegans in relationships with non-vegan people, uh, that's the topic today. Uh, first things first, we're going to open the wine of the day, which again is La Posada. It's from La Posada winery in Argentina, but this time it's the Syrah Rosé. Also organic, like last time. Last time it was the Malbec. This time it's the Syrah Rosé. Get your nose in there. See Mm -hmm. what you think. Cheers. Cheers. It's it's lemony. It has that kind of astringency, I think is the word they use.
2: I knew I shouldn't have brushed my teeth before I came here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dear, oh dear. We've chilled it, of course, as it's a rosé. We're drinking it just in time now, in early autumn, because it's more of a... It's more of a summer drink. I rarely drink it. Me neither, actually, but Um, they can be very nice. But this is nice. Yeah, with a light meal or a barbecue. Mm. Too late for that, but um, yeah, it's refreshing. Sent to us again from Oxfam Fairtrade.
2: Thank you, Oxfam Fairtrade.
1: Very kindly. Why do they send it to us? Good question. (laughs) They just want you to know that they have a range of vegan wines. Most of their wines, I think, are vegan On their website, you can look up whether it's vegan or not, but most of them are. Now, on the bottle, you do have the label for organic and fair trade. But yeah, this one's vegan as well. Still, we've got the big one today. uh, And we might even get variations on this question in the future, but...
2: We had some interesting comments online as well. We did. We'll
1: get to those after the interview.
2: Okay, here goes.
1: This is from Bothered in Belgium.
2: Bothered in Belgium says... Dear John and Val, I dream of having a fridge full of vegan food, but my boyfriend still eats meat at home, right in front of me. It's really disgusting to me. And every time I open the fridge, I see that.
1: It's quite dramatic. (laughs) (laughs)
2: I've tried to get him to at least eat vegan at home, but he says I'm being controlling. Am I, or is it a reasonable request? And how can I make him understand my perspective as a vegan? I'm worried our relationship won't survive if we can't get past this. You might just say, just find another boyfriend. But we've been through a lot together and I really do love him. That's it. Mm.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, just get another boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Because I think this is actually a very common um, situation. And I was just reading something, a statistic, something something like half of vegans in a relationship went vegan because of their partner don't quote me on that but it's something like that so that gives you hope in a way if you're a vegan stuck with a meat eater
2: yeah i think um people influence each other and like with time probably this
1: person will
2: be less likely to eat meat or like
1: bothered in belgium is getting impatient oh yeah (laughs) they want practical (laughs) advice today
2: um like, a emergency solution would be, like, to get a separate pantry or, like, a separate fridge. Mm. Indeed, it's a big problem, because I assume they eat together.
1: From the tone of voice here, you see death in the fridge. You sound a bit distraught. You sound a bit dramatic. I mean, I, I agree, it is death. But I wonder, do you talk to him in the same tone? Because then you could be creating a, a sort of a sense of guilt or shame and... Uh, even if you believe eating meat and animal products is a shameful thing i think we all understand that that might not be the most productive way to start a conversation with someone by shaming them
2: yeah we don't we don't know their relationship history either like we don't um this controlling thing it could be about uh, food it could be about other things i don't know so it's kind of tricky without like having more information um also like i think there's nothing you can do really <laughs> sorry (laughs) to disappoint
1: i mean there must be Um, an approach i mean nothing you can do to solve it instantly well nothing
2: you can do to like change this person's mind i think in general you cannot change people's minds i mean you can uh be a influence like people can want to become vegan because they see that you're having a good thing going on but you cannot like make them change i think no
1: certainly not well, whatever you've been doing, it hasn't worked so far. That's clear. And maybe maybe it's not about you bothered in Belgium. Maybe it's just that um, your partner is not ready to do that yet. Um, maybe just try discussing the situation with them in an open way, not in a sort of I want you to be vegan, how are we going to achieve it way, but more in the sense of asking questions like what is challenging to you about it. Yeah, that's it. uh, you know, maybe your partner is also thinking about the impact it will have on their family life, but they're too shy to admit it. You know, who knows what are the many reasons they're grappling with. So, yeah, if you're getting this frustrated, I imagine the other person is, you know, equally frustrated, and maybe even more, you know. Yeah. So don't force it is my general advice
2: I mean just for yourself like because oh, you're disgusted at the side of meat maybe the best solution is eating separately for a while at least to alleviate like your frustration but indeed I agree like asking questions like what is stopping you from eating the same food I eat why don't you want to eat it it's also unclear if, like, they refuse to eat anything that's vegan, or if they just don't want to give up the meat. I think it's it's the latter, right? Mm. Like, they... in in
1: that case, it could be a belief that meat is essential for health. Yeah, a lot of people like think, that.
2: think think that. But if that's the only thing, there's a lot of uh, stuff you can read online about a healthy vegan diet. I think mm. uh, one of our favorites is. Dr. Gregor's uh, nutritionfacts.org. Yes, good old Dr. Gregor.
1: Nutritionfacts.org. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. He's got hundreds of studies on veganism and like how food affects you or your bodies.
1: Yeah. And Dr. Nitu, who I'll be interviewing shortly, has some other resources that she recommends. So I'll put all that in the description for the podcast. I think another aspect of this, a potential aspect, because as you say, we don't know everything about the situation, we don't know much about it. Another aspect is the power dynamics of this couple. We sometimes don't want to give up territory. We don't want to give up ground to a partner. If the relationship is tense, we feel like we're constantly going back and forth or trying to assert our value. Mm -hmm. Every little gesture seems to have subtext to it. Maybe your partner is thinking, oh, if I relent and go vegan, does that mean that you win? Is that another victory for you? you know? I hope
2: that's not their dynamic. I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope not. I'm just
1: thinking out loud here. <laughs> you know, you get that in families as well, where there there's a, a definite kind of hierarchical structure. Yeah. People are not uh, negotiating in terms of logic, predominantly. they sort of negotiating the power structures that are already in place yeah Um, yeah
2: uh, food can be really tied to identity as well like um, culturally like what you grew up eating and like what the food that your family made was Uh, maybe it's like a meat-heavy diet especially some men imagine that it's like giving them strength or whatever Mm. i think i think um my advice would definitely be get to the cause of what's uh, what's going on. Investigate. Like ask questions that don't blame or judge, but just like what is stopping you from eating this food that I made or this food that I want to eat. Try to understand each other better. <laughs>
1: mm. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm no doctor, but my diagnosis is that bothered in Belgium is jumping the gun a little bit. <laughs> just step back because you may be freaking your partner out a bit and might be thinking what kind of uh, militant vegan have I gotten mm-hmm. in bed with literally and figuratively so rein it in a little bit because it's not working what you're doing just be patient and loving
2: <laughs> and care for yourself as well like um, yeah. if it's really if it's really making you miserable um eat separately um
1: That's quite- I don't know a statement in itself isn't it to eat separately
2: it is yeah
1: next thing they'll be uh, sleeping separately do you
2: ever have a similar situation
1: um i gotta say no this is probably why i'm trying to help from a different perspective of like maybe it's power dynamics maybe it's you know maybe it's just because the person is too intense
2: Mm -hmm. i've um dated meat eaters before when I was you were vegetarian, not oh, vegetarian, no vegetarian. Mm-hmm. but in any case, like they ended up vegetarian or vegan. So <laughs> I think that's why I say you influence each other. I mean, it's not that I was campaigning or anything. It's just no. by, by sharing meals and like cooking together.
1: I was just reading about this phenomenon called the knowledge gap. I think it's a media studies thing um, because Christopher Sebastian from VGN News uh, was doing a sort of analysis. Mm-hmm. And they said, um, oh, yeah, the knowledge gap is basically how clickbait works. You see something and mm-hmm. that gives you the impression that there's something you don't know mm-hmm. and that makes you uncomfortable. That's oh, the sort of cognitive dissonance. So yeah. you could kind of clickbait your partner uh, <laughs> effectively by okay. by not trying, you know, just by doing your thing. And being knowledgeable about what you're doing, they will realize that there's something going on with you that you really love and that you're getting a lot out of. And they're naturally going to be intrigued by that.
2: I was afraid when you said clickbait your partner. I was like, that sounds really bad.
1: Well, it's nothing sexual about it. That's what you're <laughs> no, no. referring
2: <laughs> I thought it was like a scheme to manipulate oh uh, no
1: no, no not, not like some sort of online dating things you uh... shouldn't do in the kitchen. <laughs> no nothing like that no i'm just using a bad analogy oh, uh God. with this but yeah basically just what i said before yeah. don't, don't be too intense
2: no well, care for yourself um uh, live and let live
1: <laughs> i think it's so wh-
2: stupid because <laughs> <laughs> i mean, he's eating meat yeah
1: also. that's right but um I think we should leave it there because, number one, we're not qualified to take this any further. We don't have any direct experience with that. No. Number two, we got a lot of responses to this. Yeah, we should uh, read those. We're going to read those out afterwards. Yeah. That's going to take longer than usual. So let's draw the line there for now. Hopefully yes. what we said gives you something to think about. Maybe it's helpful, uh, but I think I'm sure same. among all the people who commented, there'll be some wise words that will help you just as much, perhaps a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) Today, I have the privilege to talk to a remarkable person whom I admire very much, a consultant gynaecologist and women's health specialist with over 35 years experience providing medical and holistic care to patients. She was also one of the first US board-certified lifestyle medicine physicians in the UK. She's written the women's health module for the first plant-based nutrition course at a UK university, and she regularly posts great information about women's health and plant-based eating on her Instagram page. If I were to list her many qualifications, memberships, and areas of expertise, we'd be here all day. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Dr. Nitu Bajikal.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. It's such a privilege. I love to see young people promoting plant-based eating um, because we are in a crisis right now with our health, with the planet, and I think this can't be more timely.
1: Well, thank you for coming on the show. And first, I'd like to talk a little bit about the person behind the resume. Uh, You were born in Karnataka, is that right? South India, near Kerala?
0: Yes. But actually, my mother just went there for her delivery. Although I'm a South Indian, I grew up in Bengal, in Calcutta. And after my schooling there, I went to medical school in Pondicherry, which is again back in the South, a little French sleepy colony, but a beautiful, very state-of-the-art medical school where I met my husband. Uh, And we then went on to do our post-graduation, myself in obstetrics and gynecology in Delhi. So I basically went all over India. But... By the age of 29, we had done all the exams and we'd had our first daughter and we felt there was more to life than just settling down to an academic consultant job. We wanted to see the world. And we had heard that if you went to the States, you never came back. So we came to the UK thinking we were going to go back in four years and we are here 30 years later. I was born a vegetarian.
1: You grew up vegetarian. Is it correct that uh, South India as a region is largely vegetarian for religious reasons?
0: Um, I would say actually that's not true um, because um, about 80% of India really does eat animal products. It's just that it's very expensive as it should be Mm. Uh, and so it is um, eaten rarely. Um, The problem with any voice that is heard, the voice that was heard were from the upper caste, uh, of which I unfortunately or fortunately belong, uh, which meant that um, for religious reasons, uh, you have the Brahmins not eating meat generally. Um, There are some, of course, modern times is different. uh, And so the general idea is that most Indians are vegetarian. They are mostly vegetarian in the sense they can't afford to necessarily eat meat and eggs and fish and things. But that is sadly changing with uh, cheap meat available and cheap dairy. Um, so I was vegetarian uh, because of um, ethical reasons, although we were by religion meant to be vegetarian. My mother was an ethical vegetarian. Uh, and um,
1: your parents were quite progressive for the time. Very They're, progressive. They were both atheists or agnostic.
0: Yes. Yes. My mother was actually an atheist, and she used to get very upset when I used to occasionally—I must have tasted, I think, goat a couple of times in my life and a chicken a few times. And she used to always wonder why I did that. Um, In India, often they have the butcher shops quite open and you can see what's happening. Mm. And I didn't put two and two together. And she used to say, don't you see what's happening? And uh, I do regret not listening to her. But, you know, children tend to rebel. And and I did occasionally eat... um, Animal products, dairy was not a big feature because it was expensive, and we were my, both my parents were academic, and we didn't have a lot of money. But we did eat dairy, uh, you know, um, in at home, and but very small amounts, and very small amounts of oil because again, that was a very expensive commodity in those days. My mother had a very busy job; she was a teacher. She held down about four jobs, but she used to be a fantastic cook, and I used to love her food, but I used to complain that. You know, we didn't eat like our friends did, uh, my classmates did. And she said, well, you run the fastest and you're the tallest in the class. So I don't know what you're complaining about. So they knew, obviously, what plant-based eating meant, Yeah, you know, for health. Uh, and they remained healthy until they passed in, in 2016. Um, in fact, my father had never had a problem with anything at all. You know, his blood pressure and blood sugars and all were always normal, considering how common diabetes is in men, especially
1: your father was an educated man as well. He was. He renamed you.
0: Yes, he did. <laughs> uh,
1: Nivedita, after the Irish-born social activist.
0: Yes. So he was a very progressive man. I actually am one of three. I'm the youngest, and we all became doctors. But there were no rules that were different for us uh, girls uh, compared to my brother. Everybody did the same thing. Uh, which was very progressive. Um, and It was only when I went to medical school that I realized, um, you know, that I, there was a difference between being a female and a male. And actually, when I met my husband, uh, he was my boyfriend then at 18, my father gave me only one piece of advice, saying, please do not get married uh, before you become a doctor. Uh, and, you know, to say that 40 years ago was really because he felt that You know, it might just be that I won't complete my education. I won't be able to stand on my two feet uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, people do have issues um, in relationships and things. And he was very far thinking about that. And I'm really very grateful for him and my mother because but they did come from educated backgrounds. So it's not surprising that they were forward thinking because they had already had that uh, privilege, you know, of being um, you know, privilege begets privilege, doesn't it? So, yeah. yeah.
1: Yes. So this, you were effectively molded to have a progressive approach to medicine in your future and also to social justice. You're yes. a feminist.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I met somebody who was equally on that path. Uh, we didn't, however, equate uh, necessarily animal justice enough uh, but my brother turned vegan when he went to do his PhD uh, in the US and he had to experiment on um, chimpanzees and, and you know yeah. uh, other animals. And he became vegan pretty much um, overnight. But when he came to visit us in 92, I had also watched a couple of things. I'd seen some sheep shearing and I went vegetarian. But it took my daughter, my younger daughter, who's now 28, she must have been about nine or 10, uh, to say that she was going to go vegan which made me then go from being vegetarian to veganism.
1: It wasn't through your medical training that you found that the plant-based diet was optimal for health. It was through your daughter.
0: (laughs) Jonathan, the truth is, I don't think we were taught even a single hour of nutrition. We were taught what a calorie was uh, and how many calories were there in, you know, per gram of carbohydrate, protein and, and fat. But that was about it. Literally did not know that food could be uh, preventive medicine in fact you know it was cool to uh, snigger and laugh at preventive medicine but you know human beings are here because of a couple of things because of the discovery of penicillin and hand washing uh, you know and clean water uh, not because of chemotherapy or uh, you know life-saving surgery but it was cool to become a surgeon which is what I did And as I progressed, I realized that I was making a difference to all these people and yes, changing their lives. I was in obstetrics and gynecology and it was very exciting, but the truth was I was seeing women after the illness had started. And I myself as an obstetrician and gynecologist did not realize what help is available out there and that there was no help because at 38, so just before my daughter turned vegan, my younger daughter turned vegan, I became prematurely menopausal, which means the average age of menopause, which means when you stop your periods is uh, about the age of 51 all over the world. So that's constant. Mm-hmm. And that means no periods for a whole year. And then you label somebody as they are in the menopause and that's where they stay uh, and have hot flushes and all kinds of symptoms, depending upon which part of the world you come from mm-hmm. uh, and how acceptable it is to talk about it and your diet and, uh, and other things but to become menopausal at 38 happens to under 100 women uh, and i was unfortunately uh, one of those women who stopped their period but i was very fortunate that i'd had my family by then yeah so um i was really suffering really suffering with panic attacks and hot flushes but i didn't know what was happening i put it down to stress doctors are terrible patients i didn't have the time you know so i was just going to become a consultant i was really struggling when my daughter came home and dropped this another bombshell on me saying that she was going to go vegan and you know she loved her sausages So I didn't understand what it actually meant and said, why can't you just be vegetarian? And she said, oh, don't you understand that uh, white equals red? The milk that you're drinking, mom, uh, that cow has to go to the slaughterhouse. So I was taken aback uh, because I knew that you could be very unhealthy eating a vegan diet by just having white bread and crisps Mm. and Oreos. Uh, And I didn't know any other vegans. um, And my brother was far away. So... um, I had to really relearn everything, and I was really surprised in about three months, I noticed I was feeling very much more energetic, Um, and I always thought I had a good diet, I was always slim, Um, never really, you know, I was always active, I, I didn't really think that I could be any healthier, until I changed my diet, and in those days, 20 years ago, really 18 years ago, you didn't have junk vegan food that much you, mm. you, you knew about some accidentally vegan foods but you didn't really have that much of junk food right. so I essentially always cooked at home um, and used to get really frustrated because I didn't know any vegans I didn't know what plant-based eating was and over the years, I started then realizing, why do I feel younger and healthier and more energetic? And I started looking into it.
1: So it was this change to a plant-based diet that got you interested in lifestyle medicine as yes. a, an approach.
0: Because I thought, if this is helping me so much, surely there must be something. So I then started researching. Uh, quite a lot.
1: Maybe um, you could explain what the term lifestyle medicine means and how it relates yes. to conventional medicine.
0: Yes. So lifestyle medicine is the use of evidence-based approaches to uh, prevent, manage and even reverse um, Chronic illnesses. You know, 80% of what I see, what my husband as an orthopedic surgeon sees, what a GP sees in their surgery is related to a chronic lifestyle disease, such as heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, Alzheimer's, uh, and lots of women's health conditions. So, what happens is we try and treat these lifestyle diseases with medications. And of course, there's a place for medication. But if we can even prevent these conditions, because these are among the top 10 killers all over the world. Okay, Mm. so this is not just US or UK or Belgium. It is among the top 10 killers in the entire world. And what we are doing is we are throwing tablets at it. We are throwing surgery at this. And so lifestyle medicine is not uh, alternative medicine. It has to be scientifically proven. It has to be evidence based. And what lifestyle medicine is about is following six pillars. The six pillars of lifestyle medicine tends to be or is uh, eating a predominantly whole food plant-based diet. By that, I mean that the vast majority of uh, your diet or the way of eating should include an abundance of fruits, different fruits, uh, lots of vegetables, Focus on green leafy vegetables, lots of intact whole grains, which means that the less processed the whole grain is, the better it is. So there's a hierarchy of of, uh, grains, which means that uh, your black rice or red rice or wild rice is better than brown rice, which is better than white Mm -hmm. rice. You understand? So, you know, white bread is... um, Worsen your diabetes. While if you have rye bread and sourdough bread, that's better. So the less processed, the more fiber uh, something has, it's better. So fruits, vegetables, intact whole grains, lots of beans and lentils. We know that the longest living societies tend to eat a lot of beans and pulses. The uh, next thing is nuts and seeds. So you have a handful of nuts and seeds, which gives you all your good fats as well. Yeah. Okay. And herbs and spices I like to include because they're very good for immunity and for uh, reducing inflammation. So a whole food plant based diet is an anti inflammatory diet, and chronic lifestyle diseases are inflammatory in nature. So that means that cancer, heart disease, diabetes, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, any Medical condition you can think of, they have inflammation as their building blocks. Yeah. So if you can actually reduce that inflammation by uh, flooding your body with anti-inflammatory foods, uh, you know, living in areas where, if you can, where there's not much pollution. So all these things. So the first thing in lifestyle medicine is eating a predominantly whole food, plant-based diet, which are all those things that I mentioned. The second thing is regular exercise. By that, I don't mean going to the gym. What I mean is moving naturally so going for walks working in the garden working in the kitchen you know cleaning your house, doing your shopping. Uh, yes, great if you have a desk job, you know, if you can have a standing desk or if you are uh, able to go to the gym, that's fantastic. So exercise is a second pillar. The third pillar is making sure that you get good quality sleep. So a doctor like me in obstetrics and gynecology has always had disturbed sleep. So when you have disturbed sleep, your cortisol levels, your melatonin levels, uh, all these things will fluctuate. And as a result, we know that people who have poor sleep uh, tend to have more lifestyle diseases and they also tend to have uh, poor weight control and things. So good mm. quality sleep of seven to nine hours is really important without screen time and things. The, so after food, diet and exercise and sleep, the next thing you want to do is identify stress. All of us have stress. So, you know, good stress and bad stress. So when you have bad stress, when you're in a bad relationship, or if you have stress at work and things, it's really important to identify these stress triggers and try and make some changes in your life that can address it. Because not everybody can get rid of all the stress, right?
1: This is uh, music to my ears, really, because it's actionable advice that's based on evidence, scientific evidence. Yes. It's not a quick fix. I experienced no. a couple of years ago, I went to a doctor... Uh, with panic attacks, and he immediately prescribed me antidepressants without asking anything about my lifestyle. It's not that I'm against medical drugs, but he seemed offended when I came back and I said I'd first like to try and eliminate some lifestyle factors. And when I said I'd try exercising more, eating and sleeping better, his response was exercise for anxiety? Never heard of that, you know.
0: There are proven studies, actually, Jonathan. There are proven studies that can show um, how you can manage uh, mental health, uh, and it's not for everything. No. You have to understand that's the beauty of lifestyle medicine is that it works and walks side by side with conventional medicine. Yes. One of my favorite uh, lines is, "You can't meditate away a broken leg." So it's really important that if you have a broken leg and you need surgery, you should have it. But meditation yeah. is great. To help you cope with the pain, meditation and eating a helpful plant based diet will help you recover quicker because it's, you know, you're reducing inflammation, you know, if you sleep better, you have less stress. So it's really all interconnected. And um, so when we were talking about the different pillars, we talked about diet and exercise and stress. And identifying stress triggers and sleep, then the next thing, which is really important, especially for all ages, is reducing and avoiding risky substances and risky behavior. So, risky substances like smoking or hard drugs and uh, Alcohol—it uh, really none of these have actually any health benefits. So mm. the truth is that you know even drinking small amounts of alcohol can increase our breast cancer risk, and of course alcohol is a class one carcinogen, like cigarette smoking. Oh,
1: really, I didn't know that.
0: So avoiding risky substances, and I try to put in risky behavior as well, because if you are not using, uh, you know, not practicing safe sex, for example, mm-hmm. you can be left behind with infections that can uh, really. You know, give you a very poor quality of life with with sexually transmitted infections. So really being mindful about this and actually understanding that contraception is here to help us and not work against us, because I know there's a big move against various types of contraception, but it should not really be that case. And then the last pillar. Uh, after risky uh, substances is um, you know having a positive network so you know doing charity work having friends and family really having trying to have a positive outlook towards life however hard it may be because if we don't do that, that can have a real effect on our mental health and we then stop doing good. We start becoming negative and then that manifests in our health. And when we have poor health, it's very difficult to say, oh, I want to save the world. I want to, you know, be nice to my neighbors or yeah. any, or do any community work. You understand? So that's lifestyle medicine uh, and a whole food plant-based diet. When the, the word plant-based... Um, basically means that yes there is some room for people who absolutely cannot give up fish or eggs or meat or chicken or dairy but be very clear they are not needed for health they're not needed for the health of the person they are not needed for the health of the planet and they're not needed for animals you know we need to reduce animal suffering so you know, we, all the major societies, dietetics societies every, all over the world will now tell you that eating a, a plant-based diet is not just okay, it's actually beneficial for us.
1: So is meat protein in general, including eggs and dairy, inflammatory?
0: Yes, uh, I think there are plenty of studies to show that. Now, if you might say, or a patient might tell me what would happen if I ate, um, you know, Uh, goat on a particular festival or if I had uh, chicken once a month or you know fish once in in a few months probably nothing would happen Mm -hmm. okay um and it also depends on the rest of the quality of your diet so if you're having a whole food plant-based diet and you eat this once a month I suppose nothing's gonna happen but most people don't do that most no. people eat sixty uh, percent of the diet in the UK I think is from processed food and I think less than twelve percent comes from fruits and vegetables of which six percent is processed chips you understand yeah um, so um You know, if you look at the average person's diet, it would be muesli with uh, a dairy yogurt um, and they think it's being healthy. Then they would have for lunch, they would often have, um, you know, a tuna sandwich. Uh, And then in the evening, they would have chicken with um, some vegetables. And yes, it's it's better than having a highly processed diet. But. If you look at that kind of diet, sooner or later it will catch up with you because it's very high in animal protein. And we don't need that much of protein. Protein is, a, um, is something that dials up cancer. So we don't want high levels of animal protein. What we also don't want is high levels of isolated uh, you know, plant protein, because we don't have the studies yet. So, you know, it's fine if you're a bodybuilder or, you know, an extreme athlete, uh, you may be able to burn all that off. But for the average person who's running a 5k or a 10k or doing some gym work, you just need, you know, to have lots of beans and lentils and whole grains and, you know, not worry, because instead of worrying about macronutrients or micronutrients, the key is to eat some anywhere between 30 and 40. Well, the study basically showed 30 plant foods in a week, different plant foods. So, you know, having a variety of plant foods is what you need and eating plenty of beans and lentils and, um, you know, tubers, complex starchy carbohydrates, they have all the stuff that you need. Fruits and vegetables, nuts, seeds, avocados, they don't really, you don't need to go anywhere else and start popping, you know, supplements and and fish and things into your mouths. Absolutely not needed.
1: So doctors are only human at the end of the day, they can maybe have blind spots. The problem as patients is who are we to question professionals in their field if we're not sure? So if even professionals disagree on some topics, how can we decide as patients whose advice to follow?
0: That's a fantastic question, Jonathan. Um, And there is a lot of confusion, especially in nutrition, uh, because it feels very personal. There's a lot of... um Emotion around nutrition because it's cultural, it's what you've grown up with, uh, and you're suddenly faced with this dilemma that everything that you've been doing hasn't been a lie. Uh, But my advice always is uh, being a doctor and um, with a scientific bend, I always feel the way to do it is to follow the science. Nothing else. Just follow the science.
1: Which resources should we um, look up the science on?
0: So I would definitely recommend um, the sites that are scientific in nature. And so I would say certainly Dr. Michael Greger, nutritionfacts.org. Having met him, I know how dedicated he is to having the science out there. Harvard School of Public Health and uh, Walter Willett is very much into explaining what the science really says. Uh, The Canadian Food Guide and Eat Lancet Guides, these are all, you know, really done very good work telling us what is helpful and what isn't. And so uh, the Eat Lancet Guide brought together 30 scientists from all over the world and basically says that, you know, there's not much point being just healthy and being the only person standing on this planet. You understand? So we have to think about what else is happening and what is happening around us is not just chronic lifestyle diseases. We are dying. Cancer has now overtaken in Canada and things are the number one killer, heart disease. And more women die from heart disease than men, actually. And that's not well known. Um, Heart disease is the number one killer in most other countries. So if we know that our health is also suffering because of our diets and lifestyles, And we know that factory farming and clearing of all these rainforests for animal agriculture, which is such a poor way of transferring calories from grains into uh, calories into humans' mouths, we can't feed all these children that are starving all over the world. Uh, And so if you do care about child hunger, you may not care about the animals, but if you do care about child hunger, if you do care about climate change, you want to be thinking about what you're putting in your mouth three times. A day, and whether you can make a difference. Nobody's too small, in my opinion. Eat Lancet came out that if we don't actually change the way we eat, we're not going to be able to feed, you know, the billions of people that are occupying this planet. And people often say, "Oh, let's curb the population." Yes, of course, it's important that you know people should not choose to have large families unless, you know, they need to think about that. Uh, they need to think about driving and flying less. But the single most important thing that you can do as a human being is to avoid food waste and to try and eat almost exclusively or exclusively a plant-based diet. Now, the important thing to understand is that the vast majority of consumerism and the impact or imprint that a human being has on the planet is from the Western world, something like four to seven times that the UK and the US have compared to somebody in India. So, you know, it is really important for people who are privileged enough, you know, not everybody uh, lives, um, you know, where they can access these healthful foods, there are people who are living in food deserts, we're not asking them to change, we are saying that make healthful foods beans and grains and fruits and vegetables easily available the government needs to stop subsidizing you know meats and dairy and instead subsidize fruits and vegetables then the farmers who are also suffering will start producing more of this using proper tilling methods rather than or rather than no-till methods so that they're not destroying the ecosystem. So Harvard School of Public Health and uh, nutritionfacts.org. The Mayo Clinic also has very useful medical information. The NHS has good information. So I tend to recommend sites that are scientific and follow the science but you have to also remember that there's a lot of confusion out there and most doctors are not trained in understanding these nuances so they tend to read the same strap lines that the public read and so they come back one day saying butter is good or they often will tell patients uh, when the patient comes genuinely and asking you know do you think I should cut down on dairy or should I eliminate dairy after breast cancer or prostate cancer and they'll say just eat a healthy diet well, you know, that's not the answer that we should be giving a patient who has actually done some research and has come to you for proper guidance. And that that is where I think medical schools are failing and it really hasn't improved enough. Uh, you know, nothing much has changed, and which is why I'm so passionate about bringing this to the public from the grassroots and taking it to medical students and trainees, I never fail to bring in lifestyle medicine because it applies to every aspect of health. There is no aspect of health or medical discipline that does not benefit from understanding all the aspects of, of health, especially nutrition. and And that is something that is woefully lacking in our training still.
1: So you think if other doctors were aware of these benefits from their training then they would be open to it it's not a controversial concept
0: no it's not Everybody knows eating fruits and vegetables is good. Everybody agrees getting out the processed foods, the processed meats, the dairy, the oils. These are all not healthful foods. We know that, you know, there's only 5% that people disagree on. So that's why when people go on these fat diets, which are not sustainable, not sustainable for the planet, but also not sustainable for health is very difficult. My husband did that, you know, he tried. My patients do it. They do try and eat only like a high fat diet or, you know, a high protein animal protein. Protein diet it doesn't work because after some time you feel sick you feel tired and it works initially because you've swapped out all the garbage that was in your diet but when you eat a whole food plant-based diet or a way of eating I hate the word diet when you adopt a whole food plant-based way of eating, it is plentiful. It's joyous. There's nothing restrictive. And, you know, occasionally if you want to eat, uh, you know, cheat meats or yeah. a, a vegan treat, that is very different. It's not restrictive. You know, it, it's not restrictive, like people often worry about eating disorders and, you know, usually people don't have mm. eating disorders. They already have it from before and then they may adopt a certain type of diet. That's different. But veganism is an ethical philosophy. It is about doing the least harm to animals. And the beauty about um, veganism is it also ends up being beneficial and you know, joyful for you because you get mental peace as well as physical benefits. That's that's the difference. But veganism is an ethical philosophy, while a whole food plant based diet is essentially a diet, you know, so you could be somebody who wears leather shoes and and eats uh, a plant based diet for health. uh, And that's fine. It's still a step towards the right direction until you get rid of these Uh, products from your body what happens is your it's difficult to align your morals with your actions you understand yeah it takes time and we need to be and often um people in the vegan communities you know they can be quite harsh because everybody forgets the time when you weren't vegan yeah you see and so all we need to do is support people along the journey because You know, if you have a room full of 100 um, flexitarians who eat meat once in a a while, it's still better than having just a couple of vegans who nobody wants to hear. So much as I want everybody to go completely plant based for health and for the planet and for the animals, I have to be pragmatic because, you know, we are so far down the line of destruction that we need to be doing something quite dramatic and drastic to actually pull this back.
1: Yes, well, on a related note, we have another segment on the podcast where we discuss listeners' dilemmas relating to veganism or going vegan. And one yeah. dilemma I received was beyond my jurisdiction as a podcast host, but perhaps you can chime in with your thoughts as a doctor. Yeah. It's a Try me. quite a complicated situation, but essentially this young woman, let's call her Sue, mm. writes that she would like to adopt a plant-based diet, go vegan, Uh, but has two main obstacles. The first being she was diagnosed with multiple ovarian cysts. Her doctor said she would have to be operated upon within three months to remove them. But she went for a second opinion from another doctor who performed some blood tests and said she should cut alcohol and soy, because these supposedly mess with the hormones of some women. So Sue cut out soy and alcohol from her diet, and the cysts uh, went away on their own or at least they went down. Uh, She said her blood tests were more normal and there are still ups and downs, but it's not so extreme anymore. She's also against going back to soy as she fears this would lead to more cysts. Uh, The second factor in her story is that she has type 2 diabetes and she's concerned that carbs are a no-go for her, so that rules out a lot of vegetables and other foods. So Dr. Bajikul, perhaps you could give us your perspective on her concerns.
0: So let's talk about ovarian cysts. So young women will have ovarian cysts on one or both ovaries every month. That is part of a natural cycle unless you are on the oral contraceptive pill because ovulation has to happen by forming a cyst which will then release the egg and then The cyst will disappear. So if I scan women, often I will find ovarian cysts that are benign and they just disappear. They're known as functional cysts. They're just little water-filled cysts. They disappear. When you have somebody with multiple ovarian cysts, it depends upon the size. If they're small cysts, this young lady may be suffering from a condition like polycystic ovarian syndrome. These cysts don't need surgery. They just need dietary and lifestyle modification. Mm-hmm. And alcohol certainly can increase insulin resistance, and so cutting out alcohol is good. Cutting out soya is actually bad because there are plenty of uh, scientific uh, studies and trials to show that soya is not good just for polycystic ovarian syndrome by normalizing um, uh, blood sugar levels but it's also good for type 2 diabetes because it works with uh, weight loss but also by normalizing all the hormonal parameters so soy um, itself has got plant estrogens Uh, which is also present in chickpeas and all lentils and all beans and um, is present in flaxseed. So different types of isoflavones and lignans. Now, soya, the plant estrogens are actually very healthful. They don't behave like mammalian estrogen, the estrogen that is produced in our body fat. So when you have women who are overweight or men who are overweight, they're at a higher risk of developing many of the lifestyle cancers. So for women breast, ovarian, and womb cancers tend to be higher and for men, prostate cancer. Studies have shown, especially there have been very good studies for prostate cancer, that there's a 26% reduction in uh, prostate cancer when people swap dairy for soy. So, unless you're allergic to soy, there are about 20,000 studies done in soya and the plant estrogens actually block the harmful effects of mammalian estrogen found in meat and dairy and all the animal products. So you actually want to increase soya in this situation. So I'm pretty confident to say that that was not necessarily the right answer unless this young lady was allergic if she had other, so most cysts if i scan women a couple of months later will disappear so if this is not down to usually if it's just a simple benign functional cyst it's not because she's cut out alcohol or soy so that's the first thing if mm-hmm. it was a cyst that she was born with or a Other types of cysts, like dermoid cysts and things, diet doesn't change. For that, uh, if it's a reasonable size, she would need surgery. But if she has multiple cysts, and if they're tiny, then those are called polycystic Uh, ovaries and for that we know weight loss of five to ten percent and eating a complex carbohydrate um, diet so avoiding refined carbohydrates so she's right when she says carbohydrates but we're talking about refined carbohydrates so Mm -hmm. white bread white rice cakes and donuts are not good just like red meat and chicken and things are not good for lots of female health conditions including endometriosis so my advice to this young lady would be that if she doesn't have an allergy to soy, um, if she is allergic to soy and or doesn't want to eat soy, that's fine she she can still have a very healthful plant based diet uh, on without eating soya it's not a problem but i would recommend for most people who are listening that children should have one portion of soya in a day at least and one portion is what is held in one handful so a, chi- a small child's handful is much smaller uh, compared to a, mm. an adult and an adult should have around 2 to 3 to four portions of soya it's very important to have it in the context of a if you eat Large amounts of soy. What happens is that you're going to then not eat uh, large amounts of fruits and vegetables and greens and beans and things like that. So you want to have it in context with a healthful diet, and it should be minimally processed. So isolated soy protein is not something that I would recommend. As I said, unless you're an extreme weightlifter or extreme athlete, right. I would recommend um, eating, um, you know, minimally processed soy. So I'm talking about soya milk, soy yogurt, edamame beans, miso tempeh, tofu, things like that, which are very healthful. And women will actually find a benefit from it. And men will find a benefit. There are no man boobs here and reproduction is not affected at all. In fact, it has helped uh, in men, especially men who eat large amounts of animal protein will have uh, more problems with erectile dysfunction and sperm uh, action uh, from studies. We know that. So this young lady has done the right thing by cutting out alcohol because alcohol is not a health food but soya is a health food and i have fantastic uh, fact sheet on my website that people will really benefit from where i try and do a lot of myth busting because nothing excites people as much as soy does and one has Hmm. to remember that 70 percent of the soya that is um grown and all the rainforests that are being cleared is not for human consumption. Human consumption accounts for only 6% of the soy, wow. which is almost always non-GMO, at least in the UK. And it comes from Asia and things. Most of the rainforests are being cleared for animal feed. And you have large amounts of GMO, soya and and um, corn that is being grown to feed cows and chicken and, uh, you know, dairy cattle, which is then converted into uh, very poorly inefficient calories for us so if we and, and the rest of the soil that is grown is grown for biofuel to transport these animals so i hope i've answered your question yes your...
1: very well and uh, thank you for that I do have a follow-up question. So if Sue wants to look further into lifestyle medicine as an approach, is there an international association of lifestyle doctors where she can look up a doctor near her? Yes. Are there any in Belgium? Do you know?
0: Uh, in Belgium, I don't know. But we have a fantastic organization called Plant-Based Health Professionals. Uh, Dr. Shirin Kassam is the founder. And we have a list of all plant-based doctors, so cardiologists, gynecologists, the Surgeons, hematologists, nutritionists, dietitians uh, who can do online consultations if needed, you know? Okay. Uh, and also you have the American College of Lifestyle Medicine in the US, you have the Indian Society of Lifestyle Medicine in India, you have the Australian College of Lifestyle Medicine, you have the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine here. So there is plenty of information. Uh, And my own website, which is www.nithubhajekal.com, has about 50 fact sheets on various women's health conditions as well as on lifestyle medicine. What should I eat? What supplements should I be taking? People often take a lot of supplements and they have a poor diet. You don't need all those supplements. You need very few supplements because supplements are not a replacement to eating healthily.
1: So what supplements would you recommend as standard as part of a vegan diet?
0: Uh, So I would recommend vitamin B12, whatever your diet, because 40% of omnivores are also deficient in B12, especially after the age of 50, because the intrinsic factor that is produced in your um, stomach reduces. And so you may not be absorbing the vitamin B12. A daily dose tends to be better than a weekly dose. uh, So you might want to take a smaller dose uh, of vitamin B12 every day, especially if you have skin breakout. Some people may notice that. So you may have a spray. So vitamin B12, definitely. For people of color, definitely, uh, I would recommend vitamin D3. And for all people, um, I would recommend vitamin D3 anywhere between 800 to 2000 international units, especially with the current uh, COVID situation. Because we know that people who are vitamin D deficient may, it's a hormone, and it may actually be uh, a risk factor for being particularly ill with uh, coronavirus. So vitamin D3 is really important, especially in the winter months for all. But I would say people of darker skin need that. Sunshine, of course, is the best. And before you put your sunscreen on, you need to expose your the back of your neck, your arms and your legs for anywhere between 15, 30 to 45 minutes, depending upon the melanin in your skin. And some simple things like when you buy mushrooms, mushrooms are fungi. And so you stick them out in the sun between 10 and 3 o'clock, which is the same Uh, sort of duration time which is the best time when you get the uvb rays so you um expose your mushrooms but for longer not for the 15 minutes or 45 minutes if you can do an hour or two or three hours they actually make enough vitamin d to give you your entire daily supply wow
1: what a great tip
0: yes and the other important thing to remember is to reduce breast cancer risk Uh, other than soya which is really very helpful uh, just having a tiny uh, you know a couple of um Between two and five button mushrooms is enough to reduce your risk of uh, breast cancer, just like drinking green tea also is Mm. and having flaxseed in your diet, which also provides you with your omega threes. So vitamin D3, anywhere between 800 to 2000 international units um, every day, vitamin B12. And if you're not wanting to take supplements, do get your levels checked at least twice a year. Because it's really not uh, fun, because when you get vitamin B12 deficiency, you can get irreversible uh, nerve damage, okay? And it can be horrific. Uh, and then the algae-derived omega-3. Omega-3 is available in your walnuts, in your chia seeds, in your flax seed, in your green leafy vegetables, but in very small amounts in green leafy vegetables. So... I would recommend, especially for extremes of age, you may want to take 250 to 300 milligrams of algae-derived omega-3 a few times a week um, because the fish don't actually make omega-3. It is the um, algae that they eat that makes omega-3. So you cut out the fish and cut out the mercury and the heavy metals and go straight for the algae-derived omega-3 iodine can also be a problem and so for all again omnivore diets just like omega-3 can be a problem for all uh, diets so unless you get your levels checked it's not a bad idea to especially if you're thinking of getting pregnant or pregnant you should have 150 micrograms of iodine uh, in your diet either as a supplement or if you're quite good with eating seaweed then sprinkling some dulce flakes or nori flakes and having uh, seaweed a couple of times a week is, is good but often people are not very religious with these things so you know I tend to take a supplement that has all three uh, a few times a week And I take an algae-derived omega-3 I've only just started recently, I have to say I need to see the science Mm -hmm. before I recommend something so that's what i would recommend it's all on my website what i feel uh, science has is informing me now there is some suggestion that taking algae derived omega-3 in high doses can increase uh, prostate cancer aggression um, and whether it's fish oil or plant-based it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. and so people can be a bit hesitant with that so if you have the money to Check out your levels, that's fine. But otherwise, I'd say if you are in extremes of age, children and older people, I think for brain health, more and more suggestion is that it may help. But the jury is still out with omega-3. You may get away. I eat walnuts and flaxseed every day and chia seeds. uh, But I also take a supplement a few times a
1: week. Well, it's good to have a backup. Yeah, And uh, I also want to talk a little bit about your family. It seems to me to be a real power family. Your <laughs> husband, Rajiv, is also an experienced doctor and orthopedic surgeon. Yes. And he's also plant based. Yes. Your daughter, Naina, inspired your veganism and is a successful writer and journalist. Is that right?
0: Yes, so she's the deputy international editor for uh, Time magazine wow. and, and um, has been very influential in charting our lives. Uh, my older daughter is a force to reckon with. She is now, having done theology, uh, she is now a plant-based nutritionist and she's got an amazing website and an account as well, Rohini and uh is very much behind uh, helping me uh, to process my thoughts as well uh, because you know when you are of a certain age you may sometimes use language that is not necessarily uh, always correct I uh, see.
1: Yeah.
0: so you know when we talk to young people it's really important to be inclusive i've always been um, more forward thinking, but um, I have to say that uh, my role models are my daughters and, and my mother. And my husband is a back surgeon. He resisted going plant-based or vegan uh, because he didn't want to stand out. In fact, he's just had his story published by plant-based health professionals today about how he reversed his diabetes. He saw a documentary called Folks Over Knives. So he didn't listen to his wife, but about three years ago, he saw a movie or a documentary called Folks Over Knives, which I would highly recommend. And I would recommend The Game Changers, it is more recent. He went plant-based, whole food plant-based overnight. And in three months, having tried every diet before and his diabetes got worse, he, he actually managed to reverse his diabetes in three months. And in three That's years, remarkable. yes, in three years, he has dropped his cholesterol, his diabetes has not come back, but also he's got rid of his skin. Uh, he had very bad lichen planus, which is an autoimmune condition. He had big uh, purple, purple plaques on his legs. Uh, from the time I met him, actually, um, he thinks from the age of 10, but certainly since the age of 18. Uh, and he was asthmatic as well. And You know, those have disappeared and he has lost about four stone, which is about 24, 25 kilos.
1: Um, That's truly remarkable. Yes. And and so
0: his story, I would urge people to read his story, either um, I'll be posting it soon today and otherwise on plant-based health professionals, which has got amazing fact sheets, whether you want to have a vegan pregnancy, um, have vegan uh, children, whether you want to uh, just dabble in in plant-based diets, whether you want to read about soy about anything um so they have a fantastic instagram account as well as their website and they do uh fortnightly webinars, um, the webinars that they host uh, for professionals is amazing. But actually, anybody can join plant-based health professionals. It's not only for doctors or nutritionists. So well,
1: I'll put all the links to the websites you've mentioned in the description. It is life-changing
0: for a lot of people. When I see, I want to tell you a story of one of my patients. She had polycystic ovarian syndrome, had South African, and she didn't have periods for... Um, she didn't have periods for very long and she didn't have any eating disorders she was diagnosed with PCOS she was then correctly put on the pill to protect her bones and things like that uh, and then had to be taken off the pill because she developed a a a problem and came to see me and I asked her whether she would work with me and you will not believe this in three months her periods returned and not just returned they returned clockwork she had no weight to lose Hmm. she was eating a healthy diet mostly eggs and fish and dairy Uh, and a year into uh, having eaten like that she thought you know what I will go back to having some uh, animal products and she missed her periods again truly remarkable and uh, went back to on the straight and narrow and realized that you know the foods that she enjoys now are nothing is worth swapping that out um, especially with it's, regards to her health
1: it seems like remarkable stories follow your family around but uh... <laughs> yeah is this are these stories outliers, or can someone else with uh, type two diabetes expect uh, similar results? Oh, not
0: outliers to... at all. Type two diabetes is now. there are so many stories they actually got boring. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, but the the truth is at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a hundred percent cured. you know, I don't like using that word cured because all my husband has to do is go back to his old ways and then his diabetes Mm -hmm. will be back. Uh, So I want to just say that you're managing your condition, right? And so whether you manage it 10% or 20% or 100%, it doesn't matter. The more you put into this, and that's the one thing I didn't mention about lifestyle medicine, lifestyle medicine, the patient is in the driving seat, not the doctor, not the healthcare professional. Okay, while in conventional medicine, the doctor decides for you, I decide whether my patient is going to have an operation, I decide, and rather than making it more inclusive, while lifestyle medicine, the patient decides, I'm going to eat plant based for one meal of the day, the patient decides, I'm going to eat plant based for three meals a day, the patient decides, the patient decides they're going to go plant based, you know, Seven days of the week. No, the doctor is not deciding for you. They are there to just guide you to say, okay, this is great. With 20% of changing, you have improved this much. You can improve more if you want to do more. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You feel so good. You know, nobody wants to take their tablets and insulin injections and things, right? So what happens is when you're doing that, you're always thinking about death. You're thinking about complications. Diabetes is one of the most, is the, Biggest reason why people are in hospital from, you know, blindness. My husband had cataracts, early cataracts from kidney disease, dialysis, amputations. So, you know, all the time you're thinking of that when you're having your tablets and injections, and which is why a third or even a half of diabetics don't take their medications regularly. Instead of that, if you find a diet or a way of living where it is, there is no restriction. You're not weighing anything. You're not calorie counting. You're eating potatoes, sweet potatoes. You're eating, you know, um, Fruits, all the things that diabetics are told they can't eat, you know, you're trying to cut out junk foods and ultra processed foods and fruit juices and and oils which don't bring any health because they don't have fiber. The simple one word that I want all your followers to um, listen to is the word fiber. So basically, the average person eats about 18 or 20 grams of fiber. And it's recommended we eat 35, 30, I don't know what it is, 39 to 45 grams of fiber. Now, if you're on eating a plant based diet, you hit that easily, a whole food plant based diet.
1: So to put that into perspective, uh, how much fiber would be in, say, an apple? Um, or a... It would
0: be, a, I don't know, two, three grams. But beans has got the highest fiber. So eight grams, I think, for a cup. Um, So, you know, if you just don't worry about the fiber, even you just eat, you know, just to give you an idea of what I would eat in the day, um, I would have a big bowl of uh, steel cut oats that I would either soak Uh, overnight and cook on a weekend and that would often have a lot of sprouted grains but you don't have to you can just get steel cut oats Uh, rolled oats is fine but obviously the more processed the oats are the less the fiber it is you soak it then I have put a Mm. cup of soy milk so there's a lot of fiber soluble and insoluble fiber in porridge oats and I would have that with a tablespoon of flaxseed uh, And chia seed that has been milled. I would have cinnamon in it. I would have a banana. I would have an apple chopped up. I would have um, blueberries, blackberries, walnuts, you know, uh, a compote in it. So a couple of dates chopped up. That's a lot of fiber. You know, that's, that's a big breakfast. I would often then take a green smoothie to work uh, I, on the days that I can't have my big breakfast. Again, I throw everything into it. Kale, mango, bananas, apples, things like that.
1: So it doesn't matter if the foods are blended up to a very fine uh, particles.
0: So the, the yes, that's a very good question. Smoothies are very good for people who have very small appetites, who may be battling with cancer, for example, who are old and who don't have big appetites. Children, uh, pregnant women, so you would tend to have um, smoothies because they is difficult to eat large volumes sometimes of green leafy vegetables and things. But mm. the important thing with uh, smoothies that uh, should be that you should sip them. You should not glug them down because you want your mouth, this, uh, the amylase in the saliva, to break down uh, the the um, the fiber and the, and the cells as well. You know the cells are already broken, but you want them to digest the carbohydrates. Right so you don't want to glug down your uh, smoothie and it's very different from a fruit juice so you know having smoothie a few times a week is a good way of getting your greens and your uh, other foods in especially somebody like me who has a busy lifestyle sometimes I tend to do time restricted feeding so if I'm not going to be at home to have my large bowl of porridge I will throw a whole lot of porridge uh, oats and beans into my smoothie and I'll take a big um, you know can of my smoothie which i will sip over a couple of hours and then rinse my mouth out because of course it's got lemon and ginger and things like that so you want to rinse it out to protect your enamel so it really what i'm trying to say is that you can work it to fit your lifestyle. I tend to have a couple of baked potatoes for lunch when I'm in the hospital with baked beans and steamed vegetables and salads from the canteen. And that's available in most places. Um, Or if I'm at home, I would have, you know, some rye bread with hummus that I've made at home. It just depends on what you have. How much time are you interested in cooking? Do you want to, when you go into the shops, can you buy whole foods? You know, everybody says, oh, don't have canned foods. But at the end of the day, I'm lazy. I don't want to soak all my beans, you know.
1: Speaking of your busy lifestyle, you're also working together with your daughter Rohini to raise funds for Made in Hackney. Yes. Could you talk about what that is and what you do for them?
0: So Made in Hackney and Life After Hummus are two community kitchen projects that try and feed people and teach people skills. They have diabetes, they have heart disease, they may have cancer, and they run these free classes uh, where all you need is a chopping board and a knife. That's it. Because a lot of people don't have access to blenders and to Mm -hmm. fancy gadgets, right? Right. So we uh, they teach... um, so often I will do a talk um, or my daughter might do a talk or some other person would do a talk and um, or they may have a video from Physicians Committee of Responsible Medicine. And so basically, once the, pers- the group has been shown, uh, given some scientific information, they are then taught to put that into practical knowledge. So they will and of course, with the cur- current coronavirus situation, we don't have Uh, You know, face to face, so I often do Zoom classes. I'm doing one this Thursday where I'm teaching four dishes which are all oil free. So, oil doesn't have fiber, so we don't encourage large amounts of oil. uh, Or, and you know, learning how to cook oil free is also uh, very interesting and very tasty.
1: Yeah, I'm interested in that myself, but I I do love cooking with oil because it just makes things taste better usually in, well when you're used to it i suppose yes but, when you're um, used to
0: it afterwards once you're not used to it it actually tastes horrible I and see. So, <laughs> what does oil do it basically roasts your food you can do the yeah. same thing in the oven by sprinkling water uh, When you are cooking, uh, what I tend to do is I dry roast my Indian spices. So when I'm teaching, for example, I'll teach four dishes this Thursday, uh, which would include a bean curry, a a different type of rice, you know, a salad, a raita, a a vegetable dish, uh, which you can put into a wrap. So... When you roast your Indian spices, I used to watch my mother because oil was expensive. Uh, and so she used to roast them until you get the aroma. And then what you, if you're used to still cooking with oil, you can put a few drops at that stage. So if, my advice is if you use a tablespoon of oil, use half and then go mm. to quarter in a couple of weeks and then go to um, a few drops. And then you'll find that you don't need to. So once the spices are roasted, you put a splash of really hot water and that behaves like oil uh, and when you put your uh, onions and ginger and garlic and all that they release water as well so they actually cook in that and you can use applesauce and wine or broth um, also instead of oil so you think that you need oil and you'll be so surprised and what I say is you know at the end what you can do is add a few drops, if you want, for the smell. You know, when I cook Bengali food, I want some mustard oil smell. If I want South Indian dishes, I might put a couple of drops of coconut oil. Coconut oil, by the way, is one of the most harmful oils because it is almost pure saturated fat, one right. of the few harmful yeah. oils that raises your triglycerides. So the only oil that is okay, and the problem is when I say it's okay, is extra virgin olive oil. Extra virgin olive oil is very hard to come by. Most of them are fake. Right. So cold pr- as extra virgin olive oil it has got some healthful properties it's got monosaturated fatty acids and uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids but i always say again one of my very uh, favorite sayings which my daughters will always laugh at me is to say eat the olive but not the olive oil eat the grape rather than the grape juice that's
1: a good rule of thumb yeah
0: and eat the coconut uh, flesh rather than the coconut oil or the coconut milk so once you understand that you're eating the whole food then when you do digress, you know, see, I'm an ethical vegan, as well as a whole food plant based um, advocate. But the truth is that if you show me a vegan donut, I will eat it. Um, You know, I will eat the vegan pizza, you will catch me doing that. Um, Because that's how I originally, you know, I never had that all those years ago. But will I do it every single day? No, I won't. Because I feel so rotten, I'll be craving all the my delicious foods that I eat. Uh, On a daily basis. So, uh, but I don't like being rigid about anything uh, except being rigid about being vegan. That's the only thing I'm really, really rigid about. But I would not advocate a junk food vegan diet because that doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do the movement any good. And so um, it's really important to be aware that you are probably the only person, the only vegan that people are going to meet. Uh, And if you are not that role model, they're going to say, ah, That's the reason why I don't want to be the vegan. You understand?
1: Well, um, it's starting to seem more feasible now that I might reduce oil. Um, But another thing we like fat for in food is that it can impart a sort of creamy texture.
2: Yes.
1: So if you had like a tikka masala, could I make it creamy by adding oh. a, a sort of cashew cream
0: of course you don't have to so if you don't have time you can get cashew cream but i tend to just soak the cashews and then when i'm blitzing i have so most of my recipes if people go on my website they'll find lots of recipes most of my recipes are very quick and easy but one of the things i have a wonderful dish which is a bengali dish called Aludam where you actually make these potatoes in this creamy sauce uh, and um, you know instead of uh Dairy yogurt. You can use plant-based yogurts. You can use cashew nuts um, if you're not worried about um, you know having a lot of nuts. Uh, So nuts are healthy and they can actually help you lose weight. You want to keep them unsalted. You want to have a handful of nuts, Um, and so.
1: So even though they contain oil and high calories, they help you lose weight.
0: Yes, because they 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 satiate you. You understand. I see. So so we are asking you to eat a handful. We're not asking you to eat a bucket full of salted nuts because then you will reach for the alcohol and, you know, it becomes a vicious cycle, isn't it? Uh, So unsalted nuts, um, will have fiber and that's how it works. So you're not eating uh, food that is separated out from the fiber. The fiber is in it and that's what slows the release of anything into your bloodstream. So, um, Yeah, if weight loss is a goal, I wouldn't recommend eating four or five handfuls. The general advice in a uh, plant-based diet is to stick with one handful and then you crumble the nuts uh, so that you get more mouthfeel. So, you know, I tend to crumble my walnuts into my porridge or into my beetroot and rocket salad. I add lots of flavor like balsamic vinegar and, and lemon uh, and, you know, just creamy dressings. I have a wonderful dressing, which I make with uh, soy yogurt, mustard, some agave syrup, a few drops, a whole, I squeeze lemon into it. And it is the most creamy, delicious salad dressing you can imagine. So really it's not, difficult but you have to be interested uh, right. in cooking but i don't like anything that takes time i okay. i love cooking but I, I want to finish and get out so you
1: know. well, i do like a creative challenge in the kitchen so i'm already thinking now how i might um... yeah you
0: will enjoy it and, and don't be in a rush don't suddenly cut out all oil what you do what I do is for a couple of weeks just half the amount of oil and then mm halve it again and then halve it again and keep replacing things. And you'll be surprised, you know, the palate is very easily, you know, people who are trying to go uh, whole food plant-based, I say, do it for three weeks if you're already vegan and you will, not look back uh, if you are somebody who eats meat and and things then do it gradually over three months so that your gut microbiome mm. gets a chance to change otherwise yeah. you start feeling bloated and things so i have lots of tips on how to reduce bloating i think my daughter has a full blog as well as a post on how to reduce bloating with beans and that is to do with the fact that your gut bacteria are not used to eating anything that has fiber in it, and so you end up with this feeling, and you blame the bean, beans instead of blaming the animal products.
1: Now, one thing I'm still not entirely clear on in whole food plant based diet: um, soy milk, tofu, soy yogurt. Do those get a whole pass because they're just healthier?
0: Um, they get a whole pass only because. So it depends on. So some groups will say that um, avoid the higher fatty foods uh, like soya, which is, you know, has got all the fiber, the fat, the protein. Um, Some people will say avoid nuts. Some people say go very low fat. That doesn't matter. The bottom line is that these are minimally processed. So. How else will you have drink your tea? If you're not used to drinking your tea black or your coffee black, you want to have a medium. If you want Mm. to have a medium for your porridge, you need some plant milk. Correct. Right. So, um, yes, edamame beans are whole food, so they get a complete tick, but edamame beans won't have the same um, texture when you want to have a tofu scramble or right. you want to have, a, I don't know, a tofu, um, fake chicken paneer sauce, you know what I mean? So yeah. it really is using different foods, um, which are not really processed we're talking about minimally processed we're not talking about ultra processed foods okay so soya meats and soya and cheat meats and things are fine for sometimes for children and for older people who need a bit more protein and for the average person as a treat but they are not necessarily health foods because they may have salt they may have oil and things like that in them that you don't really want you want to be eating the food that you recognize with your eyes as much as possible. And tofu, you can. If you see the process of tofu, it's not a hugely uh, complex process. Or soya milk, you can make soya milk at home. Yeah.
1: So if it's minimally processed and part of a diet that's full of fiber already yeah. combined, then it's okay.
0: Absolutely, tofu has got fiber. And so um, it's it's like with anything, you are trying to maximize your nutrition with taste. That's what you're trying to do.
1: Right. It's not about uh, punishing yourself.
0: Yes, there is no restriction here. Really, there isn't. It's very. It's a little bit different if you have a very major medical condition. So when you read Dr. Esselstein's work, he talks about people who are ready to have uh, open uh, heart surgery. So in that situation, yes, you do have to eat your greens six times a day. Right. You have to eat a lot of beans. You, ha- you can't really be messing about with, you know, junk vegan foods and and nuts and things in high amounts because you are trying to really cheat death. That's what you're trying to do.
1: Well, uh, we've reached the end of our time already. Uh, it's been really fascinating to talk to you, and I really appreciate you taking the time.
0: Not at all. I hope your listeners have enjoyed.
1: Well, if they've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed talking to you, then I highly recommend following Dr. Neetu on Instagram. That's at Dr. Neetu And you can find a lot of great resources and info on her website, NeetuBajekal.com. I'm also going to post uh, the links that we mentioned in the podcast in the podcast description. Thanks again, Dr. Nitu. Have a great rest of your Thank day. Thank
0: you so much. Thank you for inviting me, Jonathan. It was a pleasure. John
1: and Vegan Wines with John and Bell. So, as we said, we got a lot of comments on this question. Uh, and that's to be expected, really, because it's quite a common situation, as I understand. Uh, first of all, on Facebook, uh, Melanie advocates a Zen approach. She says... It's not nice to have to be confronted with meat at home, and putting pressure on someone to become vegan often has the reverse effect. They should look for a doable middle way. Cook together a number of times a week to ease him into it. Don't expect him to quit animal products all at once. Leave room for him to make these decisions himself. Even though veganism is a better choice, it should still be a choice. Hmm. Relationships only work if both parties are willing and able to meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. Agreed?
2: Yeah, I do agree. I think it's like other things like that you don't want your partner to do, maybe like drugs or, I don't know, habits that people have that uh, are discouraged by their partner. I mean, the final decision is always theirs. There's always free uh, will.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Alia in Germany can relate. She says, I had a similar situation to bothered in Belgium. My BF before we got married wasn't vegan. We argued regularly because he kept bringing cheese home and feeding it to my daughter too. Mm. After he watched What the Health twice and The <laughs> Game Changers twice, both were available on Netflix. Twice. <laughs> praise emoji. He finally transitioned. Now we are a vegan household and our wedding was vegan too. Mm. I totally relate to Bothered in Belgium's experience. It's really hard to be in a relationship with a non-vegan. But don't give up on educating your partner Maybe with the help of such documentaries. Green heart emoji. Nice. That's a hopeful message.
2: Yeah, that's true. Documentaries can help.
1: Yeah. I think it's not a magic bullet, but um, if you're already sort of open to it, mm-hmm. it can help you think about things.
2: Yeah.
1: Matthew Felt Press on Instagram and a vegan for 16 years wow, says... that's impressive. Yes, it is, isn't it? If seeing him eat meat really does cause you that much distress... I'd suggest that maybe the two of you try eating meals at separate times Mm -hmm. or in separate rooms. That's what you said. Uh, That's
2: what I was thinking as well.
1: That way, you're not controlling his behavior, but you're also standing up for yourself and your emotional well-being. Well, it is a pragmatic solution. Yes. Um, Seems like it could be the start of a war. You know, (laughs) (laughs) Seems like dissolution, but maybe resolution can come after dissolution. Oh, he, he goes on. It'll be up to him to decide whether he'd rather eat whatever he wants separately or only eat things that don't make you uncomfortable since he can't do both and pressuring you would be controlling behaviour on his part. Also, you may decide you miss eating with him enough that you're willing to endure watching him eat meat after all. Hmm. I don't think so, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, generally, That's, yeah, I, I like his... Uh, his inventive approach mm-hmm. thinking outside the box yeah mm-hmm. maybe that is what it takes missing each other something needs to be done something has to be done yeah maybe yeah. just the act of doing something a bit radical could mm-hmm. um, give them an opportunity to think about things a bit more a bit more i don't know yeah, could it's like give any
2: them... any disagreement political or otherwise. i think no sometimes people have different beliefs and they live in the same household So um, yeah
1: Usually they just ignore each other, but these are, these are two people <laughs> that intend to... And they,
2: they get, like, confronted at every meal.
1: Mm. There's more. Oh, goodness. <laughs> There's three more. Maya Ramsdam on Instagram says, if you make rules for your partner about what they can and can't eat slash feed your child, that's without a doubt controlling behavior. The two mm. possibilities I see here are, one, keep talking to find compromises you're both comfortable with, and find ways to avoid harsh confrontation with your partner's dietary choices. For example, store meat and dairy in closed opaque containers. That is a practical solution. That's practical.
2: Yeah. That's
1: true. Uh, accept your differences and basically deal with it. <laughs> option. Deal with it. <laughs> she, she has an option too. Work on setting your own boundaries. Your own behavior is the only behavior you can control. Mm, that's true yeah i was gonna say it sounds a bit like Mm. you talking (laughs) (laughs) you could have the boundary i will not be in a cohabitating relationship with someone who is not vegan but then it is your responsibility to protect your boundaries Mm. and step away
2: i agree with everything except for the giving your partner limits to what they're feeding the child because it could be it could be your uh, child it could be like it could be that your partner is not the parent of the child Mm. Um, so I think definitely you make the rules for your child, if yeah. you're a parent. Uh,
1: Jessica from Antwerp, whose Instagram handle Lee is the portmanteau Jessica Antwerp, says, For me, it helped to realize letting go and applying a soft approach actually has the biggest and longest term impact. I will never try and convince anyone of veganism, especially not uninvited. Mm-hmm. It sets some people off. They get an idea that vegans are militant and it doesn't help you reach, quote, your goal any quicker. On the contrary, even. Having said that, I will not accommodate meat eating. Meaning, if you're in my house and I cook, thou shalt eat no animal produce.
2: I hope so. <laughs> I mean, it's our house.
1: <laughs> Imagine someone just brings a sausage in mm-hmm. their handbag and uh, yeah. slaps it on the dinner table. <laughs> that would be super rude. The bit, yeah. Okay.
2: Um, I... I don't think militant is necessarily a bad word, but I understand in the context, like, she means it, like, um,
1: pushy. She means socially or... gauche. Yeah, she means, yeah. like... Uh...
2: Like bringing bacon at the vegan dinner party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: As she goes on, uh, since being vegan, and this is a hopeful conclusion, since being vegan, I've dated a few people, and I've been in two serious relationships... For some reason, I seem to attract massive meat eaters. The first relationship I had... (laughs) Are they massive people who eat meat or do they eat a massive amount of meat? Wow. The first relationship I had, I actually transitioned from vegetarian to vegan. I didn't share much about it, but when he was at my place, he ate what I cooked. He then was intrigued by my transition, did the research and is still vegan to this day, which is about three years after the breakup. Current relationship, also big meat eater. Coincidentally, just spent three weeks with me, 95% (laughs) plant-based.
2: The veganizer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He lost lots of weight without effort. Looks better, first felt worse, and then better. There's no (laughs) arguing with that kind of experience. (laughs) First felt worse? Well, yeah, maybe that was psychosomatic. Okay. Who knows? I yeah, I never heard of that. could be gas. Maybe he like never ate vegetables and then he oh, suddenly goodness. had a lot of fiber to contend with.
2: Goodness. Also a, losing weight is like not, not necessarily. a hallmark of health.
1: No, no, not, not. But it sounds like that was what he was trying to do. So anyway, she says there's no arguing with that kind of experience. So it must have been positive for him. Okay. Much more effective than having fights about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I generally agree with that um approach. And what she said there about not not pushing and then he did the research himself and is now a vegan. That's kind of like what I was implying with the clickbait uh metaphor. Mm. She let him become intrigued yeah let let,
2: people be um if it's in them to like have this um realization or experience then it will happen yeah but it won't happen by hammering
1: (laughs) no maybe we should add though for people who are listening who are not vegan who are listening to this question thinking why are all these people obsessed with making their partners vegan can't they just let them be well it's not that it sounds a bit cultish i think from the outside okay if you're not vegan maybe yeah if you're not vegan Mm. but what I think should be said about that is that this is your partner, this is someone who you plan to stay with uh, for a long time, if not the rest of your life and um, it's important that they understand your values and if you kind of know that if they're not vegan, clearly they don't understand your values the way you do, otherwise they would be vegan so there's this kind of um mm. tension there
2: yeah there's tension uh, because it's something fundamental um. When it comes to ethics, like, it's something you feel really strongly about. And, like, especially if you share a home together, you don't necessarily want to see, like, pieces of um, dead animals in your, in your fridge. No, I understand that. I mean, the tone was very dramatic, but I understand the sentiments.
1: Indeed. Now, last and certainly not least, Dr. Nitu Bajikal herself has shared her own experience. She says, it's really tough when you have a partner who is not vegan and not supportive. It took my husband 15 years eating fish and eggs, ate vegan at home, as that's what I cooked, before he watched Forks Over Knives. So we're talking about two doctors here. Her husband is a doctor as Mm. well. She says, my advice from my own experience would be to avoid proselytizing as it puts people's backs up. Instead, have conversations on climate change or human health as it is less threatening
2: yeah and if you're interested in communication i will always recommend my favorite um communications book or theory is a nonviolent communication by marshall rosenberg it's the one with you.
1: the giraffe and the what is it, fox yeah yeah <laughs> but
2: it does like help you understand um how people react to what you're saying um and what what's a good way of getting something understood or like sharing information Um, that's something I would always recommend if you're struggling.
1: Best of luck. (laughs) If you have a dilemma for us to discuss, you can submit it using the contact form on teachostable.com forward slash contact. That's all for today. If you've enjoyed listening, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can catch the next episode when I'll be talking to environmentalist, conservationist and wildlife photographer Rachel Ribibo. Ciao ciao. Yeah, no, I thought vegans were the worst, but really I think what was happening was my conscience was saying get away. <laughs> like I don't I don't want to look at like the things that you're saying cuz I I don't want to have to
2: accept that and deal with that kind of change.